Kim Schmidt, Executive Editor of PharmaQuimit here. Welcome to the latest episode of the PharmaQuimit podcast series, Our Dealer Story. In this episode, I sat down with Daryl Pankratz, CEO of Prairie Land Partners, a John Deere dealership with 15 stores throughout Kansas. The dealership group formed in 2008 through the merger of three dealerships, Pankratz Implement, Deer Trail Implement, and Conradi Western. In 2019, Prairie Land Partners merged with CTI John Deere, and most recently in 2019, the dealership group acquired O'Malley Equipment Company. Before we head over to Daryl, I wanted to thank our sponsor, HBS Systems, a multi-generational company that for over 30 years has provided leading edge systems and software technology designed specifically for ag and construction equipment dealers. Thanks for making this podcast series possible. Okay, let's get things going. This is the Our Dealer Story of Prairie Land Partners. Do you want to kind of just talk a little bit about those original dealerships and kind of the history of what ended up sure. becoming Prairie Land? Sure. We go back far enough. Most of these came from just single family kinds of businesses. And our family was not as far back as a lot of them. But in 2008, we merged three organizations, Deer Trail and Conrady Western and Pankratz. And my family goes back to about 1989 is as far back as we go. But the Conrady family goes way farther back than that. The Deer Trail organization was three stores that were all families. If you go back far enough, and my dad was a John Deere employee and okay. my grandfather was in the dealership that he got out of before my dad was a part of it. So really there were nine stores that came together back in uh, 2008, eight stores, excuse me, eight stores that came together. Right. And then in 2010, we purchased the stores in Andale and Kingman and then uh, in minus 10. In 2012, we had a small kind of turf store in Wichita that we closed. So that was Prairie Partners, Inc. from 2012 until 2019. In 2019, Cordia Tractor and Prairie Land Partners merged to create Prairie Land Partners LLC. And then about six months later in June, we purchased the O'Malley equipment in Independence and Iola to get to the 15 stores that we have today. Okay. Those two in 2019 are pretty tight together. Was that just how it ended up? Circumstance worked out that way? or Yeah. Well, that's that's a know, lot you, to do in six months. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It was a fair amount, but it was really pretty smooth. I think that, you know, having done a couple of mergers, a couple of acquisitions, hopefully we learned a little something each time, tried to get our processes a little better organized. And I think in both cases, they were like-minded, similar values. And in all cases, these were successful dealerships. This wasn't successful taking on a poor performer. These were all performing dealerships. And so we used some guidance from some outside help. And obviously there's some bumps in the roads. There always is. But the merger went relatively smoothly, we felt like. And then the acquisition went really smoothly. And that was a lot due to the support of the O'Malley family was just wonderful to us. And then the staff at those two places were just bought in. And so our mission, vision, and values are critical to us. Uh, That's kind of our guiding principles. Go ahead. It makes a big difference when the employees at the acquired location buy into it and are on board. Absolutely. And our effort by gaining the scale was to provide, to be the place to work, to be a better place to work, which means more opportunity, better training, better compensation. And so we kind of brought the best of all the benefits of three and ended up investing more from a benefit standpoint. And from a compensation standpoint, I'd say almost everybody benefited. If not everyone, I'd say everyone would be looking at every single line. But (laughs) overall, everyone benefited from a financial standpoint over the course of time. So uh, we felt pretty good about that. We just completed a culture engagement survey to uh, kind of find out where we are. And what we found is we still have some work to do. 
But doesn't everyone? (laughs) I would suspect you're right. So back in 2008, what led to the three groups, Deer Trail, Conradi, and Pankratz, all coming together initially for the merger? I think we all kind of saw that you're either going to get on this direction and you're either a buyer or a seller kind of mentality that was kind of talked about at that time. And so we really got together and said, what do we want to be in the future? So our kind of our mantra was, let's keep our eye on the ball. Let's be a really special kind of company. Let's become bigger. But when we do that, become better and better place to work and take better care of customers. And so we thought we could individually become irrelevant, both to Deer and to our customers and certainly to our employees. And so we just said, listen, let's just go build a better business. And that was, we just kind of put our heads down and went to work. All right. And then how'd you come up with becoming Prairie Land Partners and well, yeah, coming that, up with a new that, name? <laughs> that's really kind of funny because we had a lot of things that we got to the percentages, I think, pretty reasonably. We got to the structure without a whole lot of effort. And uh, that was one of the things we talked about longer. Do you retain one of the old company's names? There was a lot of heritage there, but keeping a family name didn't work very well. And fortunately, by the time it was all over, I think everybody said, well, let's just go build this thing together. Let's keep our eye on the ball, like we said, and let's try to build a special kind of company for our customers and our employees. And so that's how we came up. I think the partner thing was what kind of cemented it to us because we all really had this mentality of we can't do this without great employees. We've got to be a partner with John Deere. We've got to be a partner with our customers. We don't want to be a vendor. We want to be their business partner. And so that's kind of how that came up. And of course, we live in the prairie. So that was fairly simple. Okay, right. And then it was a merger. So those three businesses all came in kind of equally then? When you uh, no, my family was just my wife and I that owned our company. I bought my dad out. The Conrad Western, there were I think three or four owners. And then the uh, Deer Trail group, there was I think six owners. Okay, so okay. Uh, yeah, there was kind of had to negotiate percentages and all those things. You usually come up about 102 or 3% and then you <laughs> sit down and went back to keeping our eye on the ball. And we all had a little give and take and we went to work. Did all of those owners then stay on board with the new company? For a period of time, yeah, there was some matriculation because of retirement and other interests in those things. But for a period of time, they were all in. And we've had some additional retirements certainly since then. Right, right. Now it's been 12 years. So obviously some things will have changed. Correct. Absolutely. So then going back to just prior to the merger, what was some of your background with your family dealership and your role and how that all grew? Yeah. Like I said, my grandfather had a dealership in the 40s and it dissolved and I don't really know the history. My dad worked for Deering Company. And then he worked for a John Deere dealer in Oklahoma, a really an early multi-store company called Long's. And so I kind of grew up in the dealership, but we had no ownership. And my dad just went to farm. And then I was a high school teacher, coach, and principal for about 10 years. And the store in Hutch was closed in 1988. You know, it was pretty tough in the 80s. Mm-hmm. And uh, we opened it in 1989 about my mom, my dad, my sister, myself, and about eight or nine other people. And like I said, we went to work and I bought my dad out in 1998. And of course, then about 10 years later, we did the merger. And a couple of years later, we bought Indale and Kingman. Not uh, any surprising kind of evolution. It's a very similar story with a few different turns here and there from what a lot of the dealerships today are. It's just keeping your eye on the ball, looking at what we, how do we get better and what's good for us in the long term. So a lot of family businesses now, they're kind of rolled up into really a good structured business. Mm-hmm. You've mentioned how you guys have guiding principles that kind of lead the business. Can you kind of go through what those are and why they're important to the dealership? 
That's what everybody talks about. I will tell you that they are a part of our everyday life. Our mission is delivering the right solutions. We developed that a number of years ago, and we've kept it for a while, and probably as long as I'm in this seat, we'll keep it. But the kind of thing about that was we're going to deliver it. We're not going to offer it. We're not going to have it. You can't come pick it up. We're going to engage the customer. We're going to deliver. Right means it's right for the customer. It's right for our community. It's right morally. It's right financially. It's a win-win. And then it's a solution rather than a product. And that's back to that partnering to really help our customers farm better, live better, whatever, build better, whatever they're doing. And so those things, along with our values that we develop of integrity, partnering, excellence and performance and our stakeholders. And that's something we talk about just pretty much every meeting. And that kind of led us into key strategies we live by of be the place to work, be the place to buy, build a better business, growth, and everybody sells. This mentality that we're in, everybody in the company builds relationship with customers. Everybody in the company has an opportunity to bring value to the customer. So that ties into our strategic planning. It ties into our quarterly goals. It ties into everything we do every day. And everyone's expected to know it. Sometimes we trick them up. <laughs> Sometimes we had one the other day, guy got three out of four. He says, I know the other one. I know the other one. But it's not something we came up with four years ago and we've never pulled it off the shelf. I don't believe in that at all. Okay. And then, so when we visited with you guys back in 2014, when you were the dealership of the year, it was mentioned that the business culture that Prairie Land Partners has was something new to three dealerships that merged originally. So how was that kind of coming together and developing what that culture was going to be like? What was that process like? Yeah. So culture, it's kind of a hard thing to define, but for me, it's kind of like a culture is how we behave around here, how we do things around here. And so it's really about transferring from being everybody doing everything to the larger you get, the more narrow your focus is, the better you should be able to do it, the more you should be able to complete on time, the more leadership you should provide. And so you got to really understand you're a part of a bigger picture, that your role is to contribute to the success of the organization. I'm an old football coach. And and so we got to have 11 people on a field all the time that have the very same goal. We got to have the same snap count. We got to run the same play because everybody depends on each other. That interdependence forces us to celebrate the wins together and not individually. So you really got to get to where you play for the name on the front of the shirt, not on the back of the shirt. And that's different than when you're a single store and everybody's doing everything. So it is an evolution where people understand, I may not get to see the owner every day. And for a lot of people, that was hard. For a lot of owners, it was very hard because they cared so much about the people. That makes sense. We'll get back to the Prairie Land Partners story in a minute. But first, I wanted to say thanks to HBS Systems, the sponsor of this series. To learn more about HBS's equipment dealership management systems, visit www.hbssystems.com. After that, head over to farm-equipment.com for the latest industry news. Now back to the story of Prairie Land Partners with Daryl talking about how Prairie Land has changed over the 12 years since it formed, aside from the additional mergers and acquisitions over the years. Now it's been 12 years since you all came together. Aside from the additional merger and acquisitions, how is Prairie Land Partners different today than it was back in 2008? Well, I think as we've gained scale, we've been able to hire more talent and we've provided more opportunities for people internally. At one time, this has been a few years, Sam, I went back and did a little study and looked at 
80% of our promotions were all internal. And a couple of those that weren't was because we simply had somebody who didn't have the qualifications, for example, in managing HR. We didn't have anybody who had those skill sets. So we've tried to really grow the people within the company. We've hired some John Deere folks that have brought a great perspective for us and helped us get better. But it's really been being a little more sophisticated, developing really good governance so we understand what our board does and what the operations people do. And it's helped us evolve into giving more opportunities for sure. And the last merger and acquisition, we grew by probably about 50 or 60%. And that just gave us an opportunity to continue to develop a much stronger precision ag team. We now have a demonstration and optimization team. And so we have a training coordinator that we've hired recently, and we have technical coordinators that we've hired. So it's just given the ability to hire expertise and provide a level of service for our customers we simply have never done before. Wow, that's great. And having staff that's dedicated to the demonstration side of things is, at least from what I've heard from others, pretty unique that everyone has. And some of those other kind of specialty positions you mentioned. Yeah, you got to create the, the margin dollars so that you can do that. But we're not going to be able to run the same business as John Deere evolves with their smart industrial approach. And as we align with the dealer tomorrow strategies and all those kind of things, we have to become better at anticipating customer needs and being able to provide them an experience they've never had. The demonstration teams, we're selling pretty sophisticated and pretty expensive equipment. We need to make sure that you can use all that it can do. We need to prove that a planter that costs what an exact emerge does is really worth it. We know it is, but now we planted about 4,000 acres this year with two of our tractors and planters, and we had teams that went with them. We have teams that can optimize combines so that the return on the investment, which is really what's critical to the customer, we can show that. So we collect the data from the plantings, we harvest it, we have the ROI that comes from within our AOR. It doesn't come from Monsanto or Pioneer or whomever. It comes from data that we have generated through what we've done. And I think that's more relevant to a customer. Right. Yeah. Absolutely. Which is probably what you're finding. What, I guess, has been either back from when your dad started the dealership or since the merger, kind of the biggest challenges that the groups faced? Yeah, I think the greatest challenge is always about building a great team. And obviously, as you get larger, you have to communicate better. You have to have better systems in place. You have to make sure that everybody from a leadership standpoint is aligned and bought in and they're communicating with the people. And we just completed our engagement survey. We found some areas where we need to get better. And a lot of that's communication. Some of it's recognition. But at the end of the day, we count on 450 or 60 or 70 people taking care of customers because we can't take care of them all ourselves. So that team and that alignment and that commitment to who we are and what our values are is paramount. I really believe if you can't align with our values, how much revenue you produce becomes irrelevant. Right. So we have within our company six core values. And since we've instated them, it's kind of been a we hire and fire by those core values. Because yep. if you don't have those six things, you're not really fully contributing. You're toxic. And that all sounds real simple. But when you start to cut a high performer, it becomes a little real. But we've really made a commitment to that. And every time we've had the courage to do what we believed was right, every time it's worked out great. It can be hard to have that courage, though. (laughs) The process was painful, but your values are your values. Either you stand for something or you don't. And that doesn't mean you're irrational or you're impulsive or you're on witch hunts. Absolutely not, because that violates our value. But to be systematic about it and honest and open and just say, you know, there's probably a great place for you. It just probably isn't here right now. And we haven't had to do much of that, but it's appreciated by high performers every time. 
Right. Yeah. And it's not necessarily something that is come too lightly or anything like that. But mm, no, it's painful. Yeah. It's difficult. It's the stuff you lose sleep over. Right. So what's next? What's down the road for Prairie Land Partners? You know, as I said, one of our key strategies is growth. And so we certainly want to do that from a market share perspective, from a share of wallet perspective. We want to become an invaluable partner to our customers in our AOR. We just got to really be focused about being someplace that everybody that we can possibly do business with does. In terms of opportunities outside that, entrepreneurial growth, we do that sometimes. We've done some things with some soil sampling things and some other businesses. And of course, the obvious one is more AOR and more growth. And I think those are things that are on pretty much everyone's mind. But we've gotten to where now it has to be very strategic. There's got to be great alignment with what we want to accomplish long term. It's got to be good for our shareholders. It's got to be good for our people. And so I think those opportunities will come up. But they're probably going to look a little differently in the next five years than they looked in the last five. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the type of mergers and consolidation and acquisitions and things that are happening even right now look different than they did. Yeah, five yeah some of them ago. aren't as logical. I mean, there's a lot of them that happen. So yeah, I knew that was happening. All of a sudden you hear a one and you go, whoa. What? I, <laughs> I didn't see that coming. Yeah, That came out of left field. And so I think it's really a very much about alignment values, alignment in business. And it's about, do we create a better business? And if we're not going to create a better business, because there aren't very many low performers left. It's just pretty much, there's a lot of really good dealerships out here. And so we want to be able to bring value to any kind of business deal that we would be a part of. Right. Okay. And then how does running a dealership compare to being a high school teacher? <laughs> I spent about three years in the classroom and then a couple of years as a coach and athletic director and then about four years as administrator. Okay. There are a lot of parallels. I learned a great deal dealing with discipline and dealing with parents and dealing with people. And I loved my job. I was an assistant principal. I loved my job. And people go, how can you love that job? I did because you hear the kids' stories and you start to understand the people. And I think the thing I learned the most is everybody that I came in contact with, and lots of them had misbehaved. Mm -hmm. They had a story. And if I cared about them and I was there to help them and I was there to listen, that we could find a way to handle about every situation. And early on, I didn't have that wisdom. Unfortunately, I worked for a great guy who taught me to be a better listener and taught me that we have to care about the people. And I think that was just such good counsel. He has a saying, he said, even when people know what they're supposed to do, sometimes they forget. That's why we have church every Sunday. that is stuck. And if you came here, everybody that's worked with me has heard that numerous times. And I think we just have to remind more than we have to instruct. We have to remind ourselves. We have to remind each other that really they're good people. Even when we disagree, even when we have conflict, Mm -hmm. there's still really, really good people behind that. And we've got to have a little grace and keep our eye on the ball. Yeah, that translates pretty well to running a business, too. I mean, absolutely. It's not that difficult of concepts, but it takes a lot of courage to execute. I mean, I've failed more times than I can count. There's no question about that. You just got to get back up. I saw a a post on Facebook from some friends of my daughter that had a a baby, and they said, Well, any parental advice, and everybody's done their own thing. And my answer was, Just get up. Every time you get knocked down, every time you fail, get up. Just get up. And you have an opportunity every day to be a little better than you were yesterday. And if you can do that, you're going to be a part of something that's better. I'm just absolutely convinced of that. Yeah, definitely. Anything that we missed? 
it's a good business. I feel really blessed to be able to do what I've done for this long and to work with just some really amazing, wonderful people, both within our organization, uh, within here, within our communities, our customers, for all of the noise that's out in social media and out in the public. There's so much negativity and so much noise. We're still very fortunate, still living good lives. We still have opportunity. And I'm just not going to let go of that. And I'm thankful for everything that I've gotten to do in my life and and my family and my faith. And I've just been very blessed. Thanks so much to Daryl for taking the time to sit down and share their story with us. And another thanks to HBS Systems for making this podcast possible. I'd love to get your feedback on the series, so drop me a line at kschmidt at lessetermedia.com. You can subscribe to the podcast via iTunes, the Google Play Store, SoundCloud, Stitcher Radio, or TuneIn Radio. This will ensure you're alerted as soon as new episodes are made. Thanks for joining us for this one-on-one conversation with Daryl Pankratz. Until next time, I'm Kim Schmidt, signing out of the Our Dealer Story Podcast.